Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. Beyond the news, we're back with another Beyond the News episode. It's been seven episodes since the last Beyond the News if you don't know, if you haven't listened to a Beyond the News episode yet, we have combed Earth's news feed. We have gathered the information coming from all over the world, from mainstream sources, from legitimate sources. We've aggregated that and we're presenting it to you as Beyond the News. It's incredible. What is happening on this planet right now? This could have been a four-hour episode. I I had to cut a lot, but it's still going to be unbelievable. Every seven episodes, we cover Earth's news feed. It's like interview, interview, interview. Beyond the news. So super excited about this. These are always super fun. And with me, as usual, during these Beyond the News episodes, we haven't had a lecture episode in quite some time, so we only get to see her now or hear her during these cycles of Midnight on Earth, the rhythm of Midnight on Earth. Bryn Anderson of Vital Force Herbs is here. Hello, Bryn. Hello, Jake. Hey. <laughs> Hey, how, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fabulous. Thank you for being here. I know we don't see each other as much on this platform. I've been inundated with interview requests and they stack up and there just hasn't been time for these lecture episodes. I love them. The interviews are the priority, but of course we always do be on the news. So you're here. Here I am. Yes. And I think it's great that uh, so many people are ready to be interviewed. Oh my God. You. Yeah. No, my email box is just like, oh my God. Like people love the content. They love the topics. They love the guests. They love my positive attitude. Honestly, I get a lot of compliments. I'm very honored to say that. I'm very humble. I appreciate any positive energy, any energy of love. I appreciate it all. And people just want to be here. They feel that energy of evolution, the energy of moving humanity forward. Everyone loves the questions that I ask. I always get these compliments. Oh, you, you ask these great questions. I just read the book I, and research the people and think about what I might want to say, <laughs> hanging out with these people. And I, I don't waste the opportunity. I try to get the most out of it. Maybe other people don't do that. I don't know, but I'm super honored. I really appreciate the love and the interview requests and just everything that's happening. The explosion of growth. Let me tell you people, midnight on earth is just exploding on the podcast platforms. So I'm going to announce right now, actually, 
just imper- this is just all stream of consciousness on these beyond the news episodes. It's just a flow. It's us, you listening, me, Bryn, the entirety of the divine, all of the above is here with us. So yes, people just right now, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to announce we're going full throttle on the midnight on earth YouTube channel. If you're a follower on Instagram, you've seen that I've posted some videos I've made testing the waters. We've upgraded our studio. We have incredible equipment. We have incredible content. We have an incredible channel. I haven't really gone into the YouTube dimension. I put all of my energy advertising, my energy, just everything into the podcast platforms. I would make YouTube video versions of my podcast episodes and upload them. But I did get a little perturbed when certain episodes would be flagged and then removed for things taken out of context. It's just words. These algorithms don't understand context. So they pull the episode and that was getting frustrating. So I really just didn't put any energy into it, put it all into the podcast platforms Now that is steamrolling, it's snowballing, it's exploding worldwide. So now we're going into the YouTube dimension. Go there, youtube.com slash midnight on earth. Follow me, subscribe. I'm going to be creating incredible content, exclusive content. There's no paywall. Just go over there and watch it. I know where people are at right now with their relationship with monetary energy. Not the people that understand abundance consciousness, but in general. So just go to the YouTube channel, follow me there, subscribe and watch what we can create. Watch what we do. Watch how we grow. It's going to be amazing. I'm a YouTuber now, people, in addition to a podcaster. (laughs) I never thought I'd say those words. Yes, here we are. Look, here's the thing about YouTube. It's worldwide. It's worldwide. It has the most reach. They can throttle the data so it can be distributed to places that have low-speed internet. The content, the messages, the information, everything that's happening on Midnight on Earth It's bigger than me. It's bigger than everything. So it just has to get out there. So there we are. I also have another announcement. Super excited about that. Part one, youtube.com slash midnight on earth. Announcement part two. We have a new sponsor. A content sponsor that has a product, a product line that's unlike anything else out there. In the world, I know that when I try this company's products, it's magical. It's like a magical experience. It carries that same love, that same energy as the blessed Blue Cobra CBD and the graduated to the other dimension, Howard Hitt, who created it. If you're a longtime listener, you know what I'm talking about. That love, that energy. He was a former sponsor. He passed away. That love, that energy, family owned, this is that. And we have a really strong connection actually with it here on Midnight on Earth. It is Vital Force Herbs. Yes, it's true. (laughs) Bryn Anderson's company, 
Vinyl Force Herbs is now going to be a weekly sponsor for our podcast. And I'm so honored because she's here generously giving us her time and energy when we have these special episodes. But now she's taking it a step further as a sponsor of this podcast, affecting us, helping us grow. I'm super excited. Thank you, Bryn. Absolutely. It seemed like the most natural progression. Yes. So, yeah. Here we are. So I'm just going to talk about it a little bit because you're going to be hearing about it in the preceding episodes. Probably ad infinitum, right? <laughs> so unbelievable organic herbal blends, medicine, natural medicine. Listen to these names, restful sleep, deepest dreams, grounded calm, lung fortifier, immune radiance, action, microbial defense, resilient heart, radiant brain, liver synergy, menstrual ease, and digestive strength, all available on vinylforceherbs.com. Organic, again, crystal infused. Most of the ingredients are wildcrafted by Bryn or grown in her own garden at home. So you know exactly what you're getting. And honestly, people, this is just my own perception, my own perspective. Okay. Maybe I'm a little bit biased because Bryn is a dear friend. I love her. She's an amazing human. I may be a little bit biased, but I've never had any type of tincture blends like this in my entire life. It could be her proprietary crystal infusion method. It could be her specific energy, her frequency, the love, her recipe, whatever she's doing to these tincture blends, literally just takes it to the stratosphere. Healing, you feel it instantly. It's like, my God, it like it's like, I've never had that experience. Sometimes some of these natural medicines, they just take a little bit of time. For me personally, it's like, plow. I only use these when I'm ill. I have no reason to use anyone else's products. I know Brent Anderson, I know Vital Force Herbs. So that's why we're here right now. <laughs> But is there anything you want to add before we go? I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. I appreciate your um, your bias. And <laughs> <laughs> I would just say, yeah, if you're interested, there is a lot more information on my website, vitalforceherbs.com. And also early on in this podcast, we did a couple of interviews together where I told you about some of my methods and my ideas and how I feel about herbal medicine and healing in general. So yes. I suppose those would be good to check out if you want to know more. Yes, of course. You were a guest twice on the show. There's been so many guests and you've been here so much, but she has been a guest. She is our resident herbalist. So we did a episode, two episodes about herbalism and other things related. So definitely check those out. But again, you'll be hearing me talk about it every episode probably forever if you go on her website vinylforceherbs.com everyone gets 20 percent off but for listeners of this podcast and now that she's here as a sponsor we get a 30 percent off discount code with free shipping free shipping like oh my god people and this is just for a limited time 
This is just her coming on and her company coming on as a sponsor. And this is just for a limited time. If you put in, in the discount code box, the word midnight, M-I-D-N-I-G-H-T, you get 30% off the highest quality tinctures I've ever tried in my life. You'll have to see for yourself. Go there. Try it. Check it out. She's here with us now every week. Vitalforceherbs.com is our new sponsor. Thank you, Bryn Anderson. You are so welcome. All right. Now let's switch roles a little bit. And uh, now you can be Bryn Anderson, my guest co-host. Still a Vital Force <laughs> Herbs though. There we go. And change gears a little bit. I do want to announce, though, if you're a longtime listener, you might have noticed that I have switched the release days from Thursday to Friday. Thursdays were just a little problematic. Fridays seem to flow better with life. So all of our new episodes will be released on Fridays. But of course, our YouTube channel, I'm not even sure the frequency of those videos yet. Maybe eventually it'll be daily, weekly. I don't even know. But just go there. It's going to be amazing. So, so yes, here that those are all the updates in the world of midnight on Earth. So now we can go into the Beyond the News episode, which, again, if you're a new listener and you have not experienced this yet, we've combed Earth's news feed, brought you these stories that you probably haven't heard or maybe heard just a little bit about, aggregated them. We're going to read them together. We're going to talk about them. You're here now. So here we go. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. So here is the first story, people. I'm sure you've heard about this one. CNN.com headline. Elon Musk says his Neuralink startup has implanted a chip in its first human brain. Yay. Humanity. Here's the article. Elon Musk's controversial startup Neuralink has implanted a chip in a human brain for the first time, the billionaire said in a post on his X platform late Monday. The operation took place on a Sunday and the patient was recovering well, he added. Musk's announcement could mark an important milestone for Neuralink's effort to usher potentially life-transforming technology out of the lab and into the real world. But he offered few details, and it's unclear from Musk's post how significant of a scientific advancement the implantation represents. The company had received approval to study the safety and functionality of its chip implant and surgical tools. Quote, initial results show promising neuron spike detection, Elon Musk said on X, the social media platform he owns. Neuralink's first product would be called telepathy, he said in another post, adding that its initial users will be people who have lost the use of their limbs. Quote, imagine if Stephen Hawking could communicate faster than a speed typist or auctioneer. That is the goal, he wrote. Neuralink has been working toward using implants to connect the human brain to a computer for half a decade. But the company faced scrutiny after a monkey died in 2022 during an attempt to get the animal to play Pong, one of the first video games. In December 2022, 
Employees told Reuters that the company was rushing to market, resulting in careless animal deaths and a federal investigation. In May last year, Neuralink received FDA clearance for human clinical trials, and a few months later, the startup began recruiting patients with quadriplegia caused by cervical spinal cord injury or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. The trial is part of what Neuralink is calling its PRIME study, short for Precise Robotically Implanted Brain-Computer Interface, which aims to study the safety of its implant and surgical robot and to test the functionality of its device, the company said in a September blog post about recruiting trial participants. Whoa. Trial patients will have a chip surgically placed in the part of the brain that controls the intention to move. The chip installed by a robot will then record and send brain signals to an app with the initial goal being, quote, to grant people the ability to control a computer cursor or keyboard using their thoughts alone, the company wrote in September. Neuralink did not respond to CNN's request for further details. Wow. So there you go. They got the first one in that they're telling us. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering who exactly signed up for those trials. Probably somebody that feels like it would be really amazing to move again. I mean, they do have similar devices, though, of course, not as complicated to create some sort of electrical interface that allows people to move. You think about Stephen Hawking, but there's even other things as well. But this is just taking it to the next level. Yeah, correct. So there is a good in it. As long as it's not used for evil, right? Exactly. And I also think, though, with all the technology available, if we're implanting chips with robots that can then cause you to use your thoughts to move a cursor, then maybe we don't need to use animal testing on that. I don't know. That seems kind of outdated. I agree. And, I mean, besides, it's awful. I also agree. <laughs> okay. So let's pivot over to the sun.com. Headline, UFO, question mark. <laughs> Funny. Massive Samsung drone show with colorful whirring lights mistaken for UFO. And passersby cry, call the men in black. And here's the article. Stunned Londoners got a close encounter of the drone kind as a spaceship appeared over the River Thames and Canary Wharf. That night... Onlookers in the bustling London district were left speechless as it appeared a craft from outer space was landing on the waterway. Bright lights lit up the night sky, taking the audience on a journey through the solar system with a series of colorful celestial scenes. Passersby could be forgiven for thinking it was going to be their first encounter with another life form, but it was one of the UK's biggest ever private drone displays to mark Samsung's largest launch yet, the flagship Galaxy S24 devices. As part of the show, quote, Galaxy AI is here, was prophetically written in the stars in an opening visual that stretched 160 meters wide across the city and announcing the arrival of the brand's latest AI technology designed to transform the phone experience. 
The eight minute long display featured 552 drones and took more than 650 hours to design and program by drone art show creators, Celestial. Well, wow. Now they're using UFOs to sell cell phones. Fantastic. You gotta love it. The aliens just must think like what, what is happening here? Here's another interesting tech Samsung thing that I wanted to talk about. I thought I saw this and I was like, this is definitely going on beyond the news. News.samsung.com headline Samsung's new transparent micro LED display blurs the boundaries between content and reality. Here's the article. Transparent LEDs are poised to redefine viewing experiences, making the line between content and reality virtually indistinguishable. Leveraging this groundbreaking technology, Samsung Electronics has up-leveled its leading micro LED display to expand how users enjoy visual content. The company's transparent micro LED display was unveiled for the first time at Samsung's first look 2024 on January 7th, ahead of the Consumer Electronics Show 2024, the world's largest consumer electronics and information technology exhibition held in Las Vegas from January 9th through the 12th. Combining superior craftsmanship, with six years of tireless research and development, this new modular micro LED wowed attendees with its futuristic design. The transparent micro LED's crystal clear glass-like display has revolutionized the viewing experience and attracted the attention of global consumers. It's, it's a transparent television. You can see right through it. It's like see-through glass. Bryn, what do you think about this? Look at this. Transparent, like, like you could see through. It's like a window, but it's a television. It has the, the graphics, the colors, the lights, but it's totally transparent. Wow. So it just looks like you have a piece of plexiglass sitting on your table and you can see the coffee through it or the newspaper or whatever they're showing. Absolutely. And then you turn it on and it's the image. Exactly. And you can even set it up to where... You can see through the glass still while the image is showing. It's interesting. Just uh, <sighs> confusing the eyes and the brain even further. It's just <laughs> it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. So another innovation is not just taking advertising to the next level by incorporating aliens. It's now transparent televisions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 2024. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, wait, no, there's one more thing. I forgot. There is one more. Okay. This is from the sun.us headline. Well, I never, I being spelled AI. Oh, these writers. Well, I never. They're probably AI They're writers. They're probably AI. <laughs> Samsung unveils new, quote, AI robot companion, Bali, that follows you around home after predecessor, Blasted as creepy. Okay. <laughs> Here's the article. Samsung has unveiled a new AI robot at CES 2024 in Las Vegas. Fans of the brand may recognize the new Bollybot as a more advanced version of its predecessor that faced backlash in 2020. The original Bolly was 
blasted as creepy and, quote, inherently sinister by critics. Samsung's new Bali is pitched as a friendly assistant that follows you around the home at your request. It can greet you by using its lights and cameras to shine messages onto the floor or wall. Bali can mind your pets and send you updates about them while you're at work. A video demonstrating the robot was shown to a media audience at CES. It shows Bali greeting its owners, helping them stay fit, and assisting them with work by projecting content onto the wall. The robot is also shown to be communicating with its owners while minding a dog and sending live updates and pictures to a smartphone. Bali's original announcement in 2020 was met with mixed reviews. Some spectators thought the robot was cute, while others found the fact that it was shown watching its owner sleep unnerving. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, like, turn it off, put a bag over it while you're sleeping. Pricing for Bali and a release date has not yet been announced. And Samsung said in a statement that... Bali has been revamped with new advanced features to help users intelligently navigate their lives. Bali acts as a personal home assistant autonomously driving around the home to complete various tasks. By connecting to and managing home appliances, Internet of Things, right? Bali can provide a helping hand to users in many situations, continually learning from users' patterns and habits to provide smarter, more personalized services. Whoa. Uh-oh, then it's like, oh, I just learned what time you come home. I learned how to lock you. <laughs> wasn't there a bad movie about that? No, that was Wally. <laughs> See, I think they're basically, was, that wasn't so bad, no, actually. No, I was talking about a different movie. What, Terminator? Dun, no, dun, no. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay. I don't know. What movie are we talking about? That one where the robot like locked the guy in the like cement house or the glass and he couldn't get out. Remember? Dun, 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 I don't remember dun, dun. what movie that was. Anyway. Oh, X, X, X Machina. Yeah, that one. Oh man. Dun, 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 yeah. dun. Interesting. Is it like, and it syncs with your appliances, like your dishwasher's clean, your fridge is empty, dun, 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 that kind of dun, stuff. Dun, dun. Exactly. <laughs> Okay. Well, speaking of brain chips, this is from dailystar.co.uk. Here's the headline. Bizarre brain chip implanted into monkeys to, quote, stop them taking risks. Okay, cool. Wow. Yeah, here's the article. A dystopian brain chip, not to be confused with Elon Musk's super happy utopian <laughs> brain chip. <laughs> We have different kinds of brain chips on the market, folks, <laughs> just depending on what you're interested in. <laughs> this brain chip has been developed by scientists to stop monkeys from taking risks. Okay. Researchers at Kyoto University in Japan used light flashes from the chip to speak to different parts of the brain's in the monkeys, a tendency to take bigger risks was triggered by turning on the light on one side of the brain while flashing the other led to the monkeys settling for lower risk and reward. Whoa. Now experts reckon. What? Who wrote this? 
AI, look, AI, that's slang. Just FYI, if you're listening, AI, reckon it's not in the scramble dictionary. Maybe it is. Now experts reckon the findings could lead to a better understanding of the root causes behind gambling addiction. Associate professor of neuroscience at John Hopkins University, Viet Stuphorn, was not involved in the work, but wrote in an accompanying commentary, quote, this unexpected finding implies that two neighboring regions and the frontal cortex together regulate risk attitude in a competitive push-pull-like fashion and can both increase and decrease risk-seeking. Quote, this is important because it opens up the possibility to identify the neuronal mechanisms in the circuit underlying this ability. Monkeys are natural risk takers and scientists started off by finding out how much this applied to the specific animals used in the study. They trained them to choose different colored spots with the potential of being rewarded with different amounts of water. Some of the spots had a higher chance of giving water out than others with larger amounts on spots that had a lower chance of yielding male online reports. The monkeys are understood to have largely gone for spots with higher reward and higher risk. Using the chips, however, uh-oh, the scientists shone light into a part of the brain called Broadman Area 6, which is a part of the frontal cortex and is involved in planning complex and coordinated movement. When the light was shown on the top part of it, they found that the monkeys would opt instead to take smaller rewards and risks, in other words, becoming more cautious or, I would say, more docile. Whoa! Also, it says that it's controlling coordinated movement what if the higher risk like they don't say what the risk was did it mean like jumping up higher in the room or like doing some more like what if it had to do with the limitations caused by the limitations caused by it wow it's so weird but then it's like when they're talking about like drug addiction so then what if you're a drug addict you get court ordered to have a brain chip that makes you not take risks anymore or something <laughs> That's the dystopian part, I guess. Well, we're talking about Elon Musk's chip. They're putting chips in brains. And then in the same breath, at the same time on Earth, relatively, I mean, it takes a lot of time for us to do these Beyond the News episodes, like seven to eight weeks. But in that same time span, they're saying brain chips can stop you from taking risks and control things in your brain, how you react. So, I mean, you know, yeah, do the math, people. Like, that's all I'm going to say. Go outside, folks. Yes. <laughs> Barefoot if possible. Okay, and let's do another little pivot here. We're going to be jumping around a little bit this episode. There's some clusters of information, but there's a lot of weirdness, like I said, going on right now. ChristianPost.com. Headline, ex-psychic warns Fox News pushing demonic agenda by airing divination during primetime. And here is the article. A former psychic who repented of occult practices after turning to Jesus Christ warned that Fox News potentially opened their viewers to demonic activity by airing an act of divination during primetime last week. Niza, an author and podcaster who runs XPsychicSane.com and has written about how dabbling with tarot cards as a young teenager 
ultimately led her deeply into occultism. And she said she found it completely alarming when Fox host Jesse Waters invited a medium on his show last week to discern the country's political future using tarot cards. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Am I going to hell? I just had Natalie Lucia Anderson. She's a psychic and medium and channeler. I have some tarot guests coming up. Uh-oh. I'm in, am I in trouble, people? <laughs> I don't think so. Waters, whose show Jesse Waters Primetime occupies Tucker Carlson's former time slot, hosted the so-called English psychic Paula Roberts, who pulled a tarot card for Trump known as the Five of Cups, which depicts a cloaked figure lamenting three cups that have been overturned while ignoring the two that remain upturned. The card symbolizes focusing on negativity and Roberts claimed that it predicted a sense of loss for Trump in 2024. I don't know what it means for politics, but I do know there's many different ways to read a tarot card. And that's an interesting take. Like the, just even what five of cups means to her. Well, it's I so mean, individual. It's, I don't know. That's weird. We're just reporting on it. This of is course. just reporting on, this is just the stuff that's out there that people are saying, I don't agree with it. I think it's because it's trendy. It's kind of like, oh, you know, because new age things are coming to the forefront. So then they're like, oh, let's have a tarot card reader on the mainstream news. And that seems like chic or something. I don't know. Really interesting. Well, they opened a portal. They opened a portal to hell at Fox (laughs) News. Oops, by doing a tarot Is it the first time? (laughs) So, you know, they're going to have to have some stuff to deal with there. So this is another interesting thing that happened. I'm sure you heard about this. There was a illegal tunnel being dug by Hasidic Jews under the Kaban headquarters in New York. And it was found and the New York authorities shut it down and caused a big problem. I'm going to, I want to learn about this more, but it's pretty interesting that this happened. ABC.net.au headline, how a secret tunnel in a New York synagogue led to 10 arrests and a brawl between police and worshipers. Whoa. Here's the article. Police in New York say 10 people were arrested amid a brawl in a historic Brooklyn synagogue after the discovery of a secret tunnel prompted authorities to intervene. The dispute saw police and worshipers clash after a group of Hasidic Jewish students tried to defend their makeshift passageway. The tunnel was discovered at the world headquarters of the Hasidic movement Chabad, also known as Lubavitch, in the Brooklyn neighborhood of Crown Heights. The building was once home to the movement's leader, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, and it draws thousands of visitors each year. The synagogue's Gothic revival architecture is recognizable to adherents of the Chabad movement and replicas of the building have been constructed all over the world, including in Melbourne. The underground passage ran beneath a row of office buildings and lecture halls, which eventually connected to the synagogue. Madi Seligson, the director of media at Chabon, has accused a group of extremist students of breaking through the walls of a vacant building behind the headquarters in order to gain unauthorized access. 
Mr. Seligson said efforts to repair the walls with cement were disrupted when the group in the tunnel broke through to the synagogue, leading to a standoff. (laughs) A New York Police Department spokesperson told the Associated Press news agency that officers were called to the building on Monday afternoon. Video from the scene showed police confronting young men who were standing in a space behind the brick wall. After police removed one of the men from the tunnel, a group of onlookers could be seen tossing desks, scattering books, and shoving officers. One of the officers also appeared to use an irritating spray on the group. It isn't clear when or why the tunnel was built, but there are unconfirmed reports that the work took place over the past few years. Inspectors from New York's Building Safety Agency carried out an emergency assessment of the damage on Tuesday while a group of police officers stood behind barricades outside of the building, blocking a group of men from entering. A spokesperson from the New York Fire Department told the Associated Press that the authorities had received an anonymous tip about the building in December, but all of its exits were found to be up to code during an inspection. Interesting. (laughs) So we don't really know why the tunnel was built. They don't know why. They don't know why. But here's another thing that happened recently, very recently. In fact, today, as we're recording this, news.yahoo.com headline, and this is related to that, construction worker killed in bizarre Brooklyn building collapse. And here's the article. A construction worker was killed Friday morning in Brooklyn after a basement floor gave out and a building collapsed. Multiple media outlets reported, citing the New York City Fire Department. The collapse occurred in Borough Park, a neighborhood known for its large Orthodox Jewish population at a building that records show was under construction. A stop work order had previously been issued for the site but appeared to be resolved at the time of the collapse, reported ABC7. So it's in that same area. And then phew, another building collapse. Something was going on underneath it. Interesting. So this next segment is going to be a series of articles all relating to the recent rocket that was sent to the moon. The first U.S. lunar lander in more than 50 years. So... Really big stuff happened there. Of course, it's a story in multiple parts. I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm just going to let it unfold, and we'll talk about it at the end. So here we go. This is from Fizz, P-H-Y-S dot org, Fizz dot org headline. First U.S. lunar lander in more than 50 years rockets toward moon with commercial deliveries. Interesting, right? (laughs) Everything sounds cool so far. Article, the first U.S. lunar lander in more than 50 years rocketed toward the moon Monday, launching private companies on a space race to make deliveries for NASA and other customers. Astrobotic Technologies Lander caught a ride on a brand new rocket, United Launch Alliance's Vulcan. The Vulcan streaked through the Florida pre-dawn sky, putting the spacecraft on a roundabout route to the moon that should culminate with an attempted landing on February 23rd. (sighs) Quote, so, so, so excited we are on our way to the moon, Astrobotic Chief Executive John Thornton said. The Pittsburgh company aims to be the first private business to successfully land on the moon, 
something only four countries have accomplished. But a Houston company also has a lander ready to fly and could beat it to the lunar surface, taking a more direct path. Quote, first to launch, first to land is TBD, to be determined, Thornton noted. NASA gave the two companies millions to build and fly their own lunar landers. The space agency wants the privately owned landers to scope out the place before the astronauts arrive while delivering NASA tech and science experiments as well as odds and ends for other customers. Astrobiotics contracts for the Peregrine Lander, $108 million they got. I just want to know who these other customers are, they keep saying. <laughs> you know. It's like people that want pizza or what's that? You know. You'll see. How about okay. that? Buckle up. <laughs> the last time the U.S. launched a moon landing mission was in December 1972. Apollo 17's Gene Cernan and Harrison Schmidt became the 11th and 12th men to walk on the moon, closing out an era that has remained NASA's pinnacle. The space agency's new Artemis program, named after the twin sister of Apollo in Greek mythology, looks to return astronauts to the moon's surface within the next few years. First will be a lunar flyaround with four astronauts, possibly before the end of the year. And we're going to talk about this more, but besides flying experiments for NASA, Astrobotic drummed up its own freight business, packing the six-foot-tall Peregrine lander with everything from a chip of rock from Mount Everest and toy-sized cars from Mexico that will catapult to the lunar surface and cruise around to the ashes and DNA of deceased space enthusiasts, including Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry and science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke. The Navajo Nation recently sought to have the launch delayed because of the human remains, saying it would be a profound desecration of a celestial body revered by Native Americans. Thornton said that the December objections came too late, but promised to try to find a good path forward with the Navajo for future missions. One of the space flight memorial companies that bought room on the lander, Celestis, said in a statement that no single culture or religion owns the moon and should not be able to veto a mission. More remains are on the rocket's upper stage, which was boosted into a perpetual orbit around the sun, reaching as far out as Mars. Cargo fares for Peregrine ranged from a few hundred dollars to $1.2 million per kilogram, not nearly enough for Astrobonic to break even, but for this first flight, that's not the point, according to Thornton. Quote, a lot of people's dreams and hopes are riding on this, he said. Okay, that's part one. That's a lot of foreshadowing, and I hope you cataloged all the points on that one because this is going to develop. Watch this. This is just actually adding a little bit to this. So this is from NewYorkPost.com talking about this same flight. Headline. Rocket set to release remains of 330 people, including George Washington, JFK, and Star Trek cast into space permanent memorial. Here's the article. It's their final frontier. 
After an eight-month delay, a rocket will finally release into deep space the remains of 330 people from all walks of life, including George Washington and Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry. Texas-based company Celestis Incorporated's inaugural Enterprise flight is scheduled to launch from Cape Canaveral in Florida, marking the first time human remains will be released on the moon and beyond by a commercial company. So we talked about that, okay? We expanded on that, right? There's a little bit more. George Washington, JFK, who else is on there? Dwight D. Eisenhower's on there. But uh, Okay, so that's part two. Uh-oh, part three. Metro.co.uk. Headline, moon mission suffers technical hitch hours after launch. A spacecraft carrying a piece of technology developed by British scientists has run into trouble. Peregrine Mission 1 is the first U.S. rocket due to land on the moon's surface since Apollo 17 in 1972, but it may now not be able to proceed. The astrobotic company behind the project says an anomaly has stopped it from pointing its solar panels at the sun, leaving it without the ability to charge its batteries. A video of the takeoff was captured at Cape Canaveral in Florida. On board is an instrument known as the Peregrine Ion Trap Mass Spectrometer, which will help scientists understand the moon's potential to provide resources like water. It will explore the natural satellite's atmosphere by measuring water and other molecules. Astrobotic Chief Executive John Thornton said, Today, Peregrine Mission 1 achieved a number of big milestones. It powered on, acquired a signal with Earth, and is now moving through space on its way to the moon. These successes bring us one step closer to seven nations landing on the moon, six of which have never been to the moon before. Science and Technology Secretary of the UK, Michelle Donlin, hailed this as a significant achievement. Quote, the exospheric mass spectrometer will be the first science component developed in the UK destined for the lunar surface, marking a historic moment for the UK space industry. So that was going up there as well. Are you ready for the next part, people? This is from abc13.com. Headline, U.S. companies lunar lander will burn up in Earth's atmosphere after failed moonshot. Oh, man, that's sad. Here is the article. A U.S. company's lunar lander will soon burn up in the Earth's atmosphere after a failed moonshot. Astrobotic technology said its lander is now headed back toward Earth from the vicinity of the moon. Company officials expect the mission to end Thursday. Astrobotic is working with NASA to track the lander's path and said it should pose no safety risk during its fiery re-entry. The lander named Peregrine rocketed from Cape Canaveral and it quickly developed a fuel leak that forced Astrobiotic to abandon its attempt to make the first U.S. lunar landing in more than 50 years. The company suspects a stuck valve caused a tank to rupture. Astrobotic said it has consulted with NASA and other government officials on how best to end the mission. The company said it does not want to endanger satellites around Earth or create a hazard for future spacecraft flying to the moon. 
It was a, quote, difficult decision, the company said in an online update recently. By responsibly ending Peregrine's mission, we are doing our part to preserve the future of space exploration. NASA paid more than $100 million to fly experiments on the Peregrine lander. It's part of the space agency's bid to commercialize lunar deliveries by private businesses while the government works to get astronauts back to the moon. The lander, as we just talked about, also carried a rover from Carnegie Mellon University and other privately sponsored research, as well as the ashes and DNA from about 70 people, including all the people we just talked about. And now Arthur C. Clarke is on the list. Another U.S. company, Intuitive Machines, is up next with its own lunar lander due to launch next month. Damn! They got $108 million. They put everybody's DNA, Beast of Mount Everest, all this stuff on there. They didn't make sh- it. shot it out. It didn't make it all burned up in the atmosphere. Dude. Brutal. Yeah, but I mean, did you catch that part in the first article where it was talking about how they were going to have some of the remains in a permanent, like in a booster, in a permanent orbit around the sun reaching out as far as Mars? Like, do we really need to have a piece of metal equipment with ashes inside orbiting around the sun forever as well as on the moon forever. I don't know. It, I, to me, it's not brutal. Look, it's kind of weird. The whole thing got shot down by the divine. The Navajo nation's like, told you so. Uh, yeah. Like it's not supposed to happen that way. You guys tried to force it and you got shot down. I mean, I can just picture someone from the Navajo nation that's familiar with this. just going like with, you know, sitting in a chair with a cup of cup of tea or something going, <laughs> When they hear about this, <laughs> like, like, kind of like, I told you so. Like, what the? <laughs> Something like that. There's other humans trying to get on the moon as well, and they're making it. Japan news.yahoo.com headline Japanese moonlander dying after touching down on lunar surface. What is it about the moon? It's just magical. Remember what? Evan Burton of the band and dubious told us about the moon. There's something really cosmic and magical and spiritual about that place. And we're just sending these material objects there and they're just getting annihilated. But here's the article. While Japan has technically become the fifth country in the world to land a spacecraft on the surface of the moon, following the Soviet union, the United States, China, and India, it's lander didn't stick the landing and its power reserves are quickly running out. The Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency's smart lander for investigating moon landed just after 1021, landed on the moon, seemingly surviving its, quote, 20 minutes of terror. But it's a bittersweet moment. While it survived its journey to the surface largely unscathed and is communicating with stations back on Earth and even receiving and responding to commands, JAXA officials confirmed at a press conference that its solar cells are not generating power. It's still unclear exactly why, though it sounds like the lander likely touched down at an awkward angle that's keeping it from generating solar energy. Interesting. That's the same thing that happened with the other moon lander. Hmm. Officials are still investigating the exact cause. Officials also confirmed that to preserve battery life, the team has shut off the spacecraft's heating elements. 
In short, Japan has made it to the moon. It's been a tough stretch for moon exploration efforts. The news comes after Pittsburgh-based space startup Astrobotics Peregrine Lander experienced an anomaly causing the loss of the craft. Despite several setbacks over the years, Earth's renewed interest in the moon is really starting to heat up. NASA is hoping to return humans to the moon within this decade, as JFK would say, now burned up, as part of its Artemis program. In August, India successfully landed its Vikram lander in the rough terrain of the moon's south pole. Interesting. Now let's pivot a little bit to the world of AI. This is from KTLA.com. Headline, world's first AI-powered restaurant opens in Southern California. Here's the article. The world's first fully autonomous AI-powered restaurant recently opened in Southern California. Robots cook the burgers and deep fry the French fries at Cali Express by Flippy, a new restaurant that opened in December. The restaurant is located at 561 East Green Street in Pasadena, California. Guests who visit the restaurant can watch the robots prepare their meals from start to finish after they place an order. Orders can also be customized, a news release said. The restaurant came to life thanks to the partnership between Cali Group, a technology forward holding company, Miso Robotics, the creator of Flippy, the world's first AI powered robotic fry station, and Pop ID a technology company that uses biometrics to simplify ordering and payment systems. The restaurant's menu consists of burgers, cheeseburgers, and French fries. So the robots are grilling the cows now. Quote, to our knowledge, this is the world's first operating restaurant where both ordering and every single cooking process are fully automated. John Miller, CEO of Puff ID, said in a statement. Oh, man, I don't know. Like, what happens when the robots are serving lab-grown beef? <sighs> yeah, that's going to be strange. Did you also hear that part about the biometrics to simplify ordering and payment? Oh, yeah. So they're just like you walk in and the robot reads like, oh, this this guy likes the cheeseburger. And then... Somehow they make it. Somehow they make it and then they use your palm to pay with your whatever apple wallet or whatever the wallet wild man wild okay well what happens when the ai wants to become the boss look you start out as a fry cook you start out as the guy flipping the burgers or the robot let me back that up you start out as the robot flipping burgers everybody's got to start somewhere ai or human you're the dishwasher in these restaurants. You start at the entry level position. You work your way up. So Inc.com, incorporated Inc.com headline. Can an AI become its own CEO after creating a startup? Google DeepMind co-founder thinks so. So, right? Like you can be the boss, AI. Like you start off, you just got to work your way up. You got to use a little elbow grease. You got to work hard. You'll get there. Here's the article. Google's DeepMind division has long led the way on all sorts of AI breakthroughs, 
grabbing headlines in 2016 when one of its systems beat a world champion at the strategy game Go, then seen as an unlikely feat. So when one of DeepMind's co-founders makes a pronouncement about the future of AI, it's worth listening, especially if you're a startup entrepreneur. AI might be coming for your job. Mustafa Suleiman, co-founder of DeepMind and now CEO of Inflection AI, a small California-based machine intelligence company, recently suggested this possibility could be reality in half a decade or so. At the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, Suleiman said he thinks AI tech will soon reach the point where it could dream up a company, project manage it, and successfully sell products. This still imaginary AI entrepreneur will certainly be able to do so by 2030. He says these guys in their 2030, their agenda 2030 and their 2030s. Anyways, he's also sure that these AI powers will be widely available for quote, very cheap prices, potentially even as open source systems meaning some aspects of the super smart AIs would be free. Whether an AI entrepreneur could actually beat a human at the startup game is something we'll have to wait to find out. But the mere fact that Suleiman is saying an AI could carry out the role is stunning. It's also controversial and likely tangled in a forest of thorny legal matters. For example, there's the tricky issue of whether an AI can own or patent intellectual property. A recent ruling in the UK argues that an AI definitively cannot be a patent holder. And the article concludes this topic is, of course, still in the realm of possibility and still can be discussed partly as a philosophical matter. For now, serial small business entrepreneurs can probably relax the AIs are not coming for your jobs yet, most likely. Even Suleiman's framing of the idea was couched in terms of a psychological engineering problem, the Turing test. The notion that AIs will soon be able to act as entrepreneurs is, of course, again, a thorny matter and, again, has legal issues. Okay, well, could happen. You have an AI boss. It's like... AI gets inspiration. There's something to be said about that because you think about the energy of an entrepreneur. It's rooted in creating something mentally, the workshop of the mind, an idea, and bringing that idea into form. So to be an entrepreneur, you're, you're visualizing things, what could happen, what it looks like, and the path to get there. So the implication is that the AI can do that as well. Is this when they're going self-aware? <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Brynn? I think it sounds like that because any idea starts with creativity and inspiration, which would be outside the realm of just algorithm and processing speed and all of those things. Right. And to have inspiration, you would think there would be a connection like a life connection, something that's beyond computing. So yeah, you could think about that for a minute Interesting. or two in the time crystals scene, you know, mm -hmm. do you know about time crystals? I could guess what they might be. Please tell us. We have them now, Bryn. We have time crystals now as humans. What is a time crystal? 
Let's find out. This is from the debrief.org. Headline, scientists succeed in producing a durable time crystal. (laughs) This is going to blow your mind. Here's the article. Researchers at Germany's TU, Dortmund University, report that they have developed an ultra-robust time crystal. Their study, published in Nature Physics, offers new insights into the potential applications and the physics governing time crystals and offers a new method for keeping them stable. Time crystals represent a new phase of matter first theorized in 2012 by Nobel laureate Frank Wilczek. Unlike traditional crystals, which exhibit repeating patterns in space, time crystals display patterns that repeat in time. This means their atomic structures undergo periodic motion even without external energy, defying the traditional laws of thermodynamics that govern equilibrium in most systems. The importance of the TU Dortmund's team's work lies in its demonstration of an ultra-robust time crystal with a semiconductor material. The time crystal they developed can maintain its periodic oscillations over extended periods, roughly 40 minutes, which is millions of times longer than previous attempts. Led by Dr. Alex Grelick, the team developed a novel method to stabilize the time crystal. Using indium gallium arsenide, the crystal's nuclear spins store energy acting like a battery. So in simple terms, by shining light on the crystal, they created a special condition where the nuclear spins start to oscillate through their interaction with electron spins effectively creating a time crystal. Metaphorically, think of the time crystal as a clock that keeps ticking without needing to be wound up. Okay. (laughs) Grelick and his team achieved this by using a special kind of material where tiny particles inside it called electrons and nuclei talk to each other in a very specific way. This conversation makes the clock tick on its own steadily and without stopping, even without any push from outside. This new time crystal can last for at least 40 minutes, a lifetime that surpasses previous records by 10 million times with potential for even greater longevity. Now, here's where it gets interesting. One of the most promising applications of time crystals is in the realm of quantum computing and information processing. Time crystals could potentially be used to create more stable qubits, the basic units of quantum information, which are notoriously sensitive to external disturbances. This relates to an episode that hasn't been released yet. It's going to blow your mind, people. Holy cow. This is blowing my mind right now. This stability could pave the way for more reliable quantum computers capable of solving complex problems far beyond the reach of today's most powerful classic computers. Of course, we know that. We talk about quantum computers quite a bit here, especially on these Beyond the News episodes. Moreover, the intrinsic temporal regularity of time crystals makes them ideal candidates for enhancing the precision of timekeeping devices. 
In an era where every nanosecond counts from GPS navigation to high-frequency financial trading, not the type of high-frequency we talk about, very quickly an incredible amount of trading, the development of clocks based on time crystals could significantly improve the accuracy and reliability of time measurements. Like, what? What? This is so weird. It's interesting to think about, you know, like in the time of Little House on the Prairie, late 1800s, when standardized time was first happening, when the railroads were late here in the United States anyways, and each town had its own time. Like they had their own clock and it might be a different hour based, you know, you could be like 20 minutes away and it might be two hours different just because everyone just set their own time. And then when the trains came in, everyone, you know, they standardized all the time. And so interesting, like fast forward 150 years and now we're like quantifying clocks and creating like time crystal clocks rather than, you know, watches and clocks that wind and all that. So anyway, just interesting, like fast forward from standardizing time at all. From the sundial to the quantum time crystal because quartz crystals oscillate and they use them for watches. That oscillation is the mechanism for these quartz watches. They don't even need the quartz anymore. What's even better is quantum time crystals. And just to close out this article, beyond enhancing quantum computing and timekeeping technologies, time crystals could revolutionize our understanding of non-equilibrium thermodynamics. They challenge conventional wisdom about the states matter can take and how systems behave over time, potentially leading to new theoretical frameworks and technological innovations. Whoa, time crystals, people. And of course, I have to report on this. This did get a lot of mainstream news attention. You knew I was going to cover this. The Miami Mall aliens. Was it a 10 foot tall creature? Was it not? I don't think so. The only strangeness, the anomalies that I see are the amount of police officers that they sent to that mall for quote unquote teenagers shooting off fireworks. So let's talk about this. Let's take a quick dive. Newsweek.com. Here is the headline. Miami mall creature video goes viral. And here's the article. An incident at a Miami shopping mall, which resulted in the arrest of four teenagers earlier this week has sparked the spread of a bizarre theory on social media, which suggests the alleged presence of aliens at the Florida establishment. More than 60 police cars swarmed the Bayside Marketplace in downtown Miami on Monday night to shut down a fight involving a group of teenagers who were also throwing fireworks at each other in the open-air shopping mall. Four teenagers were arrested in connection to the incident, as reported by local WPLG-TV. According to the suspect's arrest reports mentioned by the television station, the juveniles were, quote, causing a riot inside the mall and causing panic. Dozens of officers were called around 8.30 p.m. that evening to the two-story mall at 401 Biscayne Boulevard after several people called 911 to report what they thought were gunshots but were instead loud fireworks. 
Police cars occupied the boulevard, temporarily blocked access between 2nd and 4th Streets. That's really bad writing. Police cars occupied the boulevard and temporarily blocked access between 2nd and 4th Streets. The sheer amount of police deployment to address the incident has raised suspicions among many on social media that the case might have involved more than just teenagers. Some who analyzed footage of the scene outside of the Miami Mall have developed the theory that an alien creature was the real cause of the disturbance. One account on X claimed the footage showed 10-foot-tall alien creatures, which fired at inside and outside Miami Mall. The theory hasn't met universal backing on social media, where some have pointed out that they couldn't see any alleged alien creature and others said that what on the low quality footage they have looked like a suspicious creature was possibly three officers walking side by side. Brent, let's take a look at the picture. Okay. These are the cars. This is supposedly the alien. That's supposed to be one 10 foot tall creature. I don't feel that's clear enough for any sort of extrapolation of what that could be. That looks like a shadow or something, or I don't even know if it looks like an actual, like a, a being. Right. It, it could be like a water fountain or something. That's, I don't know. Yeah. I don't see anything clearly. In the age of cameras that can take the picture of a hair three miles away in 8K, 3,000 frames per second. I'm exaggerating, of course, but you get what I'm saying. Why would they have a blurry photo of a 10 foot tall alien when there's a trillion humans there did have to report on it though because it was out there you know you thought about me when you heard about it i thought about you (laughs) (laughs) and here's something kind of related this is from news.com.au here is the headline French female astronaut screamed warning about aliens before attempting suicide. Here's the article. A shocking video claims France's first female astronaut screamed, Earth must be warned, before she attempted suicide. Claudie Hegener, 59, reportedly had to be restrained after yelling the eerie caution prior to falling into a coma from an overdose of sleeping pills. Holy God. A six-minute YouTube conspiracy film by UFO Mania has resurfaced this week examining her story. It has been viewed nearly a million times. In 1993, esteemed scientist Claudie was a backup crew member for the 1993 Mir Alter mission, which included her future husband, Jean-Pierre Hajner. She made it to the Mir space station in 1996 as part of the Russian-French Cassiopeia mission and in 2001 became the first European woman to visit the International Space Station. After retiring from space work, Claudie entered French politics and worked as Minister Delegate for Research and New Technologies from 2002 to 2004 and Minister Delegate for European Affairs from 2004 to 2005. But despite her efforts, budgets for scientific research were cut. That's where the story gets strange, as if it wasn't strange enough. In December 2008, it was widely reported that Claudie had to be rushed to a hospital 
after allegedly taking an overdose of sleeping pills. It was reported that she was found conscious, but had to be restrained while screaming, Earth must be warned, before lapsing into a coma. Claudie blamed the incident on burnout syndrome and is now the director of Cité de Science de It. And Claudie blamed the incident on burnout syndrome and is now the director of the largest science museum in Europe. However, alien astronaut theorists believe she was trying to warn the Earth about life in outer space. Claudie's story often pops up when something happens to a prominent UFO expert, which may have triggered the latest interest, the mysterious death of conspiracy theorist Max Spears in October is something that also triggered interest. He was found dead on a sofa at a friend's house in Poland days after warning his mother to investigate if anything happened to him. Friends also claim he had vomited a black liquid before his death. Okay. That was a weird turn at the end of the article. Now, this is something we talked about before the 23 and me last beyond the news, I believe, or maybe it was the one before that we talked about how they had a data breach and there was kind of like the four stages of grief and acceptance. I think this is like stage five. Now this is kind of an update on that story. If you remember everybody's DNA got stolen, that turned it into 23 and me. I knew it was a bad idea. I didn't do it, but if you did it, that's okay. You learned something. Perhaps I heard some of the data and the results were just like messed with by employees. I don't know, but it did get stolen. And here's a little update on that. Techcrunch.com headline 23 and me tells victims it's their fault that their data was breached. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Way to uh, take responsibility. I there. know. Here's the article facing more than 30 lawsuits from victims of its massive data breach. 23andMe is now deflecting the blame to the victims themselves in an attempt to absolve itself from any responsibility, according to a letter sent to a group of victims seen by TechCrunch. Quote, rather than acknowledge its role in this data security disaster, 23andMe has apparently decided to leave its customers out to dry while downplaying the seriousness of these events. Hassan Savari one of the lawyers representing the victims who received the letter from 23andMe told TechCrunch in December, as we reported on, so that was the last one, the last beyond the news. 23andMe admitted that hackers had stolen the genetic and ancestry data of 6.9 million users, nearly half of all its customers. <sighs> we did talk about that last beyond the news. But in a letter sent to a group of hundreds of 23andMe users who are now suing the company. 23andMe said that, quote, users negligently recycled and failed to update their passwords following these past security incidents, which are unrelated to 23andMe. Therefore, the incident was not a result of 23andMe's alleged failure to maintain reasonable security measures. Ah, the lawyer Zavari said that 23andMe is, quote, shamelessly blaming the victims of the data breach. Oh, man. It's your fault, guys. The other, the other times we lost your data, you didn't change your password or whatever. You used one you used in the past somewhere, so it's your fault. Oh, my God, dude. So there you go. Don't give your DNA to people. And don't eat random mushrooms. Even if the AI tells you it's okay. 
honestly, because here we go. MSN.com headline, Ohio man nearly dies after unknowingly eating four poisonous mushrooms from his backyard. Here's the article in a shocking incident. An Ohio man had a close brush with death after consuming four poisonous mushrooms that he foraged from his backyard. William Hickman, 55, relied on an app called Plant Identifier on his smartphone, which mistakenly identified the mushrooms as edible. While mowing his lawn in Windman, Ohio, William Hickman stumbled upon a cluster of mushrooms. Intrigued, he used a Plant Identifier app on his phone to determine their credibility. To his surprise, the app identified the mushrooms as giant puffballs, a variety known to be safe for consumption. Hickman incorporated the mushrooms into his tortellini dinner that evening, trusting the app's recommendation. Unfortunately, the mushrooms turned out to be poisonous, quote, destroying angels, a deadly variety that can cause severe health complications, the Daily Mail reported. Eight hours after consuming the mushrooms, Hickman started experiencing uncontrollable vomiting and excruciating pain. Despite hoping for relief, the pain persisted, prompting his wife Tammy to contact Poison Control for assistance. Having treated numerous mushroom poisoning cases, Poison Control facilitated the administration of an experimental antidote called psilobinin. Derived from a milk thistle plant, psilobinin has shown promising results in countering the effects of mushroom toxins on the liver. Time was of the essence, and the antidote needed to be administered within 72 hours of ingestion. Fortunately, Hickman received the antidote, setting the stage for his recovery. Following the administration of the antidote, Hickman embarked on a long and arduous six-month recovery process. Wow. The support and expertise of medical professionals played a crucial role in his survival. Reflecting on his ordeal, Hickman expressed gratitude for the collective effort that saved his life. Quote, there are a lot of people involved to make it happen to save me, he explained. Wow. Uh, so interestingly enough, I... Yeah, break that down for us. Okay, Nick I got to tell you a couple things okay. about that. Well, one, um, I actually took a mushroom biology class many, many years ago, and one of the most commonly mistaken mushroom for puffballs is the destroying angel, which is in the Amanita family, like the, the red, the red mushroom with the white polka dots, Amanita muscaria. This is a different, this is a cousin of that. That's super toxic. But when it's just starting, it comes up above the ground looking just like the white top of the puffball. So you could see how like a cell phone app picture would just capture that top and then you know, peg it as a puffball. And that was the first thing we learned is you got to dig under that to make sure it actually is a puffball and not just the tip of the destroying angel mushroom. Uh, so that's key about what you said earlier. Don't let uh, AI identify your mushrooms for you because you might have to actually physically dig under them to see what they are. And then the other thing is I just listened to two herbalists talking about a time where one of them had falsely identified a mushroom and same thing was happening. She was uh, vomiting profusely and the other herbalist knew that milk thistle 
was the only antidote to mushroom poisoning. And so just use straight milk thistle seeds, not, um, I didn't even know, and they didn't speak about this, there being a pharmaceutical derivative, um, which I guess they're saying is experimental. But at that time and in that story, the nurses at the hospital said, what did you use? Oh, milk thistle. Okay, we're keeping some of that here at the hospital because it's more effective than anything we have. So- Wow. Yeah. So the milk, milk thistle saved him and he ate mushrooms from his lawn that he identified with an app. Look, people, I know that there's a bell curve in human intelligence. I'm not here to judge anybody, but I will say it's probably in our cellular memory. Don't eat random mushrooms, right? Well, he thought he was doing his homework. He had a homework. plant ID app and he took a picture and it said it was fine. That's like getting you know? chat GPT to do your homework. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and the Latin name of milk thistle is syllabum. So that's where the syllanin comes from. I recognize that right away. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Interesting story. Thankfully cool he article. survived. Yeah. Thankfully he survived. Okay, so we're going to pivot to another just kind of frequency shift, a little different vibe as we bounce around towards the end. News.yahoo.com headline, stones worshipped by Indian villagers turn out to be dinosaur eggs. And here's the article. Farmer Vestamandloy was surprised to learn recently that one of the stone balls his family had been worshipping for generations has turned out to be the fossilized egg of a giant dinosaur that lived in central India's Narmada Valley millions of years ago. Like Mandloy, many farmers of Pandla village in Madhya Pradesh Dar district have been worshipping these roughly palm-sized balls known locally as Kanker Bariv or Stone Shiva. The balls lie in small clusters often at the root of a fig tree in an open field and are considered the guardians of the land and livestock. But after a group of scientists took a closer look, Manloy found out that the stone he worshipped is in fact the egg of a titanosaur, one of the largest dinosaurs to have existed on Earth. Quote, we were visiting the area in early December to develop a plan for a geological park when we met Mandloy and other farmers, Mahesh Srakar of the Burbal Sani Institute of Paleosciences in Lucknow said, scientists believe that the dinosaurs were decimated during volcanic activity around 65 million years ago, leaving behind a treasure trove of fossil-rich rocks along the valley of the river Narmada, which stretches thousands of kilometers from Madhya Pradesh to Gujarat in the far west. Large numbers of dinosaur bones, teeth, claws, and eggs have been found since the early 19th century, and Manloy's Karkara Barav is the latest discovery. Quote, many of these fossils still exist because tribal people have been worshiping and taking care of them for time immemorial, said amateur paleontologist Vishal Verma. Even though they are referred to as Kankar Bharava, Kankar means stone and Bharav is another name for the Hindu god Shiva, these stones are not worshipped in the traditional Hindu way with mass of water or milk. Quote, once a year near Dwali, 
The villagers make farm animals like cows or goats walk over these stones to gain the protection of the deity, Verma said. A high school physics teacher, Verma has been an avid fossil hunter and conservationist right from his teenage days spent in this region of rolling hills and ancient volcanic rocks where dinosaurs used to roam 145 million years ago. In January, a group of paleontologists, including Verma, reported the finding of 256 eggs of herbivorous titanosaurs in several clusters in Dar District. Published in the PLOS-1 Research Journal, the study reveals new details about the breeding and nesting habits of the long-necked dinosaurs. The discovery of ovum in ovo, or multi-shell eggs, and their clustering together indicates that the titanosaurs' breeding habits were similar to those of modern-day birds, according to the reports. The car and his team are helping the government's ecotourism department plan a geological park in the area, which will include the egg clusters. Verma says he hopes the park will also showcase the ancient traditions of the local people, which have helped to preserve the dinosaur eggs. Jurassic Park. Wow. So they worship the eggs. They had the animals stand on them and they were dinosaur eggs the whole time. Look at the size of these things. I don't think we really have any true concept about how big those animals really were. It's pretty wild. Even when you go to a museum and see like a fully replicated skeleton of a T-Rex or something, like you don't really know what that looks like full of like muscle and flesh and skin or feathers or whatever they had. Like they probably were massive, super massive. Well, speaking of super massive, there's a super massive black hole. This is from NPR.org. Did you like that segue? (laughs) That was a good segue. Thank you. Here is the headline. James Webb Telescope detects earliest known black hole. Quote, it's really big for its age. And here's the article. When the Hubble Space Telescope first spotted the galaxy GNZ11 in 2016, it was the most distant galaxy scientists have ever identified. It was ancient, formed 13.4 billion years ago, a mere 400 million years after the Big Bang. That's all. But while GNZ11's record has since been broken, the galaxy remains something of a puzzle. For such an old and compact galaxy, it was oddly luminous. To be that bright, quote, it would have required a large number of stars packed in such a small volume, says Roberto Moilono, an astrophysicist at the University of Cambridge. But given how young the universe was, it would have been hard to make all those young bright stars in that relatively short period of time. Now in a paper entitled a small and vigorous black hole in the early universe published in nature, Mylino and his colleagues have an alternative explanation for all that lights, a super massive black hole about 1.6 million times the mass of our sun. The black hole itself doesn't emit any light, but all the material screaming toward it may well be hot and bright enough to produce the galaxy's intense radiance. He says this is the earliest black hole ever detected, and its very existence calls into question where certain black holes come from and how they feed and grow. Wow, the mysteries of the universe, people. They found the earliest black hole so far. 
And what's next? What's next? USAToday.com. Headline, UFO or balloon? Unidentified object spotted over Air Force One may have simple explanation. I'm sure you might have heard about this. There was a UFO that followed Air Force One while it was carrying President Joe Biden. And here's the article. A pair of amateur plane trackers captured strange footage earlier this month of an unidentified airborne craft that appeared to hover over Air Force One as President Joe Biden visited Los Angeles. Unsurprisingly, speculation that it was extraterrestrial in origin began almost immediately. Quote, a few viewers are saying we saw a UFO. Peter Solorzano, who runs the YouTube channel LA Flights with his brother Joshua, said with a laugh during the December 10th live stream. The plane spotters had sent up the day to film footage at Los Angeles International Airport as two F-35 fighter jets patrolled the skies for the commander-in-chief. While they were elated to film the jets being refueled mid-air by a KC-10 tanker aircraft, they didn't expect to capture anything as unusual as the white sphere that came into view. What's more, the brothers didn't just capture footage of it once, but three times. The object first appeared to zoom across the screen at 10.18 a.m. local time as it traveled the opposite direction above Air Force One. One of the brothers recognized it right away. You saw that. We've got something, Joshua said. I'm not too sure what it was. By the time... The object appeared on camera for the third time. At 11.08, the brothers were very unnerved. They did not immediately respond to USA Today for a comment. But of course, some skeptics are dismissing it as a weather balloon. Like, why is that their go-to? Where are all these weather balloons? Like all of a sudden, it's like, oh, it's a weather balloon. Well, where are the other ones? Like, where are the ones that actually crash? And you're like, yeah, that's a weather balloon. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, where are the ones that actually pop, crash, whatever? You find the wreckage. You're like, oh, that's definitely a weather balloon. If they're if they're just like crashing all over the place. And here's the next one: ScienceAlert.com. This is promising. Headline: Scientists destroy 99% of cancer cells in the lab using vibrating molecules. It's a little similar to the episode I did with Stephen Ross and the Nemoscope and the Universal Microscope. Here's the article. Scientists have discovered a new way to destroy cancer cells. Stimulating aminocyanine molecules with near-infrared light caused them to vibrate in sync enough to break apart the membranes of cancer cells. Aminocyanide molecules are already used in bioimaging as synthetic dyes. Commonly used in low doses to detect cancer, they stay stable in water and are very good at attaching themselves to the outside of cells. The research team from Rice University, Texas A&M University, and the University of Texas says the new approach is a marked improvement over another kind of cancer-killing molecular machine previously developed called Faringa-type motors, which could also break the structures of problematic cells. 
In a test on cultured lab-grown cancer cells, the molecular jackhammer method scored a 99% hit rate at destroying the cells. The approach was also tested on mice with melanoma tumors, and half of the animals became cancer-free. Quote, what needs to be highlighted is that we've discovered another explanation for how these molecules can work, says chemist Cicerone Orozco from Rice University. This is the first time a molecular plasmon is utilized in this way to excite the whole molecule and to actually produce mechanical action used to achieve a particular goal, in this case, tearing apart cancer cells membrane. Wow. So they can get in and and vibrate it and make them sync up until they explode, which they've already had this technology. If they're letting it out now, you know, they've already had it. It just really makes me think about Stephen Ross, the nemoscope and the universal microscope. They figured out that cancer was a virus. They figured out the frequency that vibrated at had a color. They matched the color. The cell exploded. I did a whole episode about it. Stephen's an incredible guy. Amazing guy. This next article, dailymail.co.uk. Maybe I should have put this somewhere else at the show. Maybe after the Elon Musk article, but whatever. Here's the headline. Tesla robot attacks an engineer at company's Texas factory during violent malfunction, leaving trail of blood and forcing workers to hit emergency shutdown button. Dun, 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 dun. I'm just kidding, people. You know what that means. The article or about the song? Just the whole thing. (laughs) Here is the article. Sounds crazy. A Tesla engineer was attacked by a robot during a brutal and bloody malfunction at the company's Giga Texas factory near Austin. Two witnesses watched in horror as their fellow employee was attacked by the machine designed to grab and move freshly cast aluminum car parts. The robot had pinned the man who was then programming software for two disabled Tesla robots nearby before sinking its metal claws into the worker's back and arm, leaving a trail of blood along the factory surface. The incident, another incident, a lot of incidents going on here, which left the victim with an open wound on his left hand, was revealed in a 2021 injury report filed to Travis County and federal regulators which has been reviewed by dailymail.com. While no other robot-related injuries were reported to regulators by Tesla at the Texas factory in either 2021 or 2022, the incident comes amid years of heightened concerns over the risks of automated robots in the workplace. So that's really unclear to say brutal attack, but then they're saying... It was unintentional. It was a malfunction. It sounded like it thought that the, it it perceived that the man was a metal part. It was supposed to grab and move. Exactly. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So a little sensationalized, but still. As, you know. It's a workplace injury. It just happens to involve AI. It's sketchy though. (laughs) (laughs) Are you talking about the Tesla bots? What about these guys? Yeah, The The Tesla robots. We're looking at pictures of the Tesla robots. But you know, I'll say people have also been grabbed by like in meat packing plants and other production facilities. People are grabbed by all kinds of machines. And yes, like hydraulic presses and other things. And yeah, they're hurt on the workplace for sure. It happens. Like I said, this just happens to involve robots. Robots, but so yeah, somehow it makes it sound. 
still scary. <laughs> okay, so our next run of articles, it's just a lot of the just the the weird things that happen that just kind of slip through the cracks. So here we go. Popularmechanics.com headline: Scientists extracted woolly rhino DNA from hyena poop. Quote: That's remarkable. <laughs> okay. Here's the article. The fascinating part of reconstructing a European woolly rhinoceros's mitochondrial genome for the first time in history should be the fact that scientists have now reconstructed a European woolly rhinoceros's mitochondrial genome. But in this particular story, where that DNA came from may actually be even more interesting. Scientists managed to harvest it from fossilized hyena poop. The research team behind this project, the results of which were published in the journal Biology Letters, says that the demise of the Coleodonta antiquitius, an iconic species of the Eurasian Pleistocene megafauna, started around 10,000 years ago. Despite early recovery of several specimens from archaeological sites, no genomes of the population have been available. All genomic data originated exclusively from Siberian populations. So the research team turned to two caves in Germany where they located fossilized feces of hyenas, a leading predator of the rhino. Using fossilized feces of cave hyenas recovered from middle paleolithic layers of two caves in Germany, we isolated and enriched predator and prey DNA to assemble the first European woolly rhinoceros mitogenomes in addition to cave hyena mitogenomes. Wow. So what are they going to do? Jurassic Park. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's going to go to that geologic park in yeah. India. They're just going to have a whole scene there. Oh, man. Here's another interesting thing. <laughs> this is from RollingStone.com. Headline, students dressed as furries could be collected by animal control if new Oklahoma bill passes. <laughs> Do you know about furries? Bring these people... <laughs> I love you if you're a furry. If you're listening to this, you're saying, I am a furry. People that identify as animals, magical animals. Who didn't want to be a cartoon character as a kid? These people are the cartoon. They're saying we are that. And they have costumes. They have the full thing. They have a whole identity. Some of these people use litter boxes. And here's the article. If one Oklahoma representative gets his way, children who act like dogs and cats during school hours could be punished by animal control. Yes, parents might soon have to collect their kids from the pound. If Representative Justin Humphrey's bill makes it to the finish line as it stands today. That is, of course, if kids acting like animals at school is really that widespread a problem, which is up for debate. Humphrey's bill, which was filed Wednesday, seeks to put in place a law whereby students who purport to be an imaginary animal or animal species who engage in anthropomorphic behavior, commonly known as furries at school, shall not be allowed to participate in school. The parent or guardian of a student in violation of this section shall pick up the student from school or animal control services shall be contacted to remove the student. 
Oh my God. Humphreys tells Rolling Stone he was inspired to write the bill after hearing several reports of students disrupting school while engaging in animal-like behavior. He cites two such alleged incidents, they're just everywhere, in which a grandchild of a friend took to crawling down the hallway while wearing a leash, and another where a student distracted classmates by meowing like a cat. He seemed most concerned. However, with the widespread idea of students requesting litter boxes in the classroom, similar bills have been introduced in the past as well, but none have included the animal control language. Humphrey says he's heard reports of such instances, but did not cite a specific incident. Quote, why are we going to bring in a litter box and put it in a room? Are they allowing those kids to actually use litter boxes? He asks. If you think that you're an animal, that's a mental health issue and we need to get you mental health assistance. Some people are going to say, well, they're being artistic. There's nothing artistic about mental illness, he says. When asked why he decided to use the term furry in his bill, Humphrey brought up mental health once more saying, quote, there's an actual psychological term that goes with that, but it's a very, very difficult to pronounce word. So I just use furries because that's what everybody's calling them. He also implies that dressing up as an animal is a fetish of sorts. Quote, we're there to educate. We're not there to teach sexual habits. Well, that part I can deal with. I mean, I, that part I agree with. All very strange <laughs> on earth. The aliens, uh, what do they think? But for real people who didn't like when you were a kid and you were like watching Saturday morning cartoons, that's your story if that's what you did didn't you want to be in the cartoons sometimes like didn't you want to have like the colorful outfits and all that and the costumes and you want furry perfect clean fur you know i don't know they just did it they, they just i'm doing it so i don't know there's something to be said for that and of course we're light beings right we're light beings in physical bodies so they want to be furries they're light beings in furry bodies Indeed. I'm sure you'll report back on the uh, first time a kid is taken to animal control. We'll see what that story holds. Oh, yeah. What about when they get spayed or neutered? Ooh. <laughs> so this next article is abc.net.au. Headline, Washington woman 62 granted court permission to have dead husband's sperm extracted. And here's the article. A 62-year-old woman has been given the green light to have sperm extracted from her dead husband to conceive a baby after the couple lost their two adult children in separate accidents. But she won't be able to do anything with the sperm as posthumous fertilization is banned in Washington. The man who is 61 died suddenly at the couple's home in Western Australia on the morning of December 17th and the woman pleaded her case in the Supreme Court at an urgent hearing the very next evening, Justice Fiona Seward granted the woman permission to have spermatozoa tissue removed from her late husband, who whose body is being stored at the Perth morgue. The court heard the couple had for years regularly. The court heard the couple had for years regularly discussed having another child after their 29-year-old daughter drowned in a 2013 fishing trip and their 30-year-old son died in a 2019 car accident. Oh, my God. Damn. So, 
They said she could do it. And they were a little concerned. It looks like that I had to even go to court in the first place. Wow, man. Okay. Let's just keep this vibe rolling for a second. NewYorkPost.com headline. I've impregnated more than 180 women. Somehow I'm still single. Oh my God. Here's the article. He's the spurned sperminator, a UK sperm donor who has impregnated nearly 200 women, says he paradoxically can't find a partner, which he attributes to his perennial seed spreading that makes women jealous. Quote, it's very hard to find someone who could tolerate this lifestyle. (laughs) The Newcastle native who simply goes by donor Joe 51 told the son of his inability to find love self dubbed the quote angel of the North due to his mission to help women conceive the prolific pollinator has reportedly fathered more than 180 kids in 13 years. Oh my God. The lovelorn Brit who has not paid for his services reportedly travels everywhere from the U S to Argentina to Singapore, sowing his oats like a veritable Johnny Appleseed of sperm donation. Okay. Okay. But he still can't find love. Quote, out of my 180 kids, I've met more than 60, he said. There are some kids that I meet on a daily basis, and there are some that I often talk with on WhatsApp. In general, experts warn against going to unlicensed sperm donors due to the associated health, legal, and ethical caveats. Wow. He's unlicensed. He's sowing his seed around the world. He's got a tribe of children they're hitting him up on whatsapp and that's that's a very interesting story (laughs) well this is going to be strange this is like a disney movie plot or pixar or something like that this is from scmp.com south china morning post headline india freeze pigeon accused of spying for china after eight months in police custody The bird was caught at a port in Mumbai with messages written in a Chinese-like script on its wings. It was held under lock and key in a hospital while police carried out an investigation. The sub-headlines read, oh my God. (laughs) I'm telling you, Disney movie, right? Okay, here's the article. A pigeon that spent eight months in Indian police custody has been released after it was finally cleared of being a suspected Chinese spy. The bird was caught at a port in the financial capital, Mumbai, with messages written in a Chinese-like script on its wings, the Times of India newspaper reported. Initially, the police had registered a case of spying against the bird, but after completing their inquiry, they dropped the charge. The unnamed bird was held under lock and key at a city hospital while police carried out an investigation. The probe took an astonishing eight months. The India Office of the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals said in a Thursday statement. PETA India said police had granted formal permission for the hospital to release the pigeon on Wednesday. Local media reports said the bird fluttered away in good health. The pigeon is the latest of several detained by Indian authorities on suspicion of espionage. Oh my God. Sounds like there's some suspicious pigeons. Yeah, there's something. That's like a Studio Ghibli movie. 
Okay, just one more touch on AI, I think. <laughs> Interestingengineering.com. Headline, China creates world's first AI child, which shows human emotion. Oh, my God. Here's the article. Chinese scientists have unveiled what they are calling the world's first AI child. Developed by the Beijing Institute for General Artificial Intelligence, Tong Tong, or Little Girl's Virtual AI Avatar, was recently introduced for the first time in Beijing. B-I-G-A-I sees Tong Tong as a giant step toward achieving a general artificial intelligence agent when a machine can think and reason like a human being. The company is a cutting-edge research and development not-for-profit organization operating under the leadership of Zhu Songchong, a world-renowned scholar in the field of AI. What sets Tong Tong apart from conventional large language models in AI like OpenAI's ChatGPT or Google's Bard is her ability to assign tasks to herself independently. She's demonstrated a level of autonomy previously unseen in virtual entities. Okay, well, it's virtual, but still interesting. This is also interesting. We're going to laugh a little bit now. We've just got a couple more articles to go, and it's going to be weird, of course, as always. And we like to end on funny ones. This is from abcnews.go.com. Headline, Amish horse and buggy stolen from Walmart parking lot while family shops. That's low. I know. That's really weird. That's why I was like, what? I just had to just really quickly touch on this. Here's the article. An Amish family had their horse and buggy stolen while they shopped at a Michigan Walmart police say. The theft took place on Saturday in the town of Sturgis, Michigan, some 95 miles south of Grand Rapids near the Indiana border. A truck driver parked in the Walmart lot had seen a female steal the buggy, according to a statement from the Sturgis Department of Public Safety. A truck driver parked in the Walmart lot had seen a female steal the buggy, according to a statement from the Sturgis Department of Public Safety. He gave police a description of the female suspect. Police eventually found the stolen horse and buggy later the same evening and were able to find the alleged unnamed suspect at a nearby motel where she was arrested without incident. <laughs> Man, the AI, huh? Well, they love that word incidents. Okay, so CBS42.com. This is a funny one. We gotta like lighten the mood a little bit, right? After all the weirdness. <laughs> Headline. Man arrested after taking off clothes and jumping in Bass Pro Shop Pond in Leeds which is in Alabama. Okay. Here's the article. A Sterrett man has been arrested after he ran a car into a pole outside of the Leeds Bass Pro Shop, took his clothes off, ran inside, and jumped into the indoor pond Thursday night. Wow. According to Leeds Police Department Police Chief Paul Irwin, police responded to the Bass Pro Shop just before 9 p.m. Irwin said the 42-year-old man had intentionally struck a pole in the parking lot with his family in the car. He then ran inside, took off his clothes, and jumped into the Bass Pro Shop pond. Quote, it's very unfortunate that people like this aren't receiving the treatment they need, Irwin said. The man, who has since been identified as George Owens, was taken into custody and is charged with public lewdness, disorderly conduct, assault in the second degree, resisting arrest, two counts of reckless endangerment, and two counts of 
criminal mischief. Wow. He, he lost his shit. Okay. That sounds like a manic, like schizophrenic type episode. So we've talked about this a little bit. Bryn, do you remember this? The, the rogue cannabis operations that are run by the Chinese cartels in Maine. Yes. And they I had do. like dozens of houses and the cops couldn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a little update on that. So this is WGME.com. Here's the headline. Authorities bust illegal marijuana operation in China, Maine, not China, China, but China, Maine. It's an actual place. Maine authorities say they raided an illegal marijuana operation in China, Maine over the weekend. I have to just say that. Arresting three people and seizing 970 plants. The Kennebec County Sheriff's Office said they got a tip on Saturday about a person being held against their will at 1144 Route 3 in China. When deputies arrived, they say no one in the home was in distress or being held against their will. However, Deputies say they discovered an unlicensed commercial marijuana grow operation. Authorities seized 970 mature marijuana plants and many seedlings. The trio was charged with unlawful trafficking in Schedule Z drugs. Wow. So I'm really sorry about this. This next article. This is information I probably should have got you sooner, but I guess it's better late than never. Man, this is for you. This is theguardian.com. Headline, risk of penile fractures rises at Christmas. Doctors find. Sorry, it's past Christmas time. We're now into 2024. This is good to know for next year. Here's the article. It may be the season of loving and giving, but doctors have warned against embracing this spirit too enthusiastically at least where sexual relations are concerned. They have discovered that the Christmas period is associated with a significantly increased risk of penile fractures, a medical emergency in which the erection-producing regions of the penis snap, usually as a result of forceful bending during over-enthusiastic sexual intercourse. Yikes. Ow, snap. Ooh. The fractures are often heralded by an audible crack followed by severe pain, rapid loss of erection, <laughs> obviously, and severe swelling and bruising. Ow. When patients present to their doctor their penises, they often look like an eggplant. Oh, my. <laughs> eggplant? Oh my God. The study, the first to explore seasonal patterns for this type of injury, found that such injuries were indeed more common over Christmas. In fact, quote, if every day was like Christmas, 43% more penile fractures would have occurred in Germany from 2005 on. The doctor researching this said, wow, okay. Well, be careful out there, man especially Christmas time, 2024 this year, 2023. We didn't get you the information in time. Hopefully you survived. Hopefully there was no snap. Oof. Oof. Ha. Oh man. Just the mental picture. Moving on. Okay. Um, (laughs) It's just, that's like trauma. That's like instant trauma. Um, Okay. So two more articles 
and they're always really funny and weird or just whatever. Like this, it hasn't been weird enough that, you know, we like to end it on a kind of a lighter note. <laughs> Was the last one supposed to be a lighter <laughs> note? <laughs> well, we got two, two to cover. For okay. This. Let's see. <laughs> this is ftw.usatoday.com for the win is the name of the website. Here's the headline. Fish bandit arrested for taping fish to ATM machines. Like it's got a cigarette. That's Here is the article. A teen whose Instagram username is at fish underscore bandit 84 has been arrested in Provo, Utah for taping fish to ATM and other objects. And you know, somebody's doing this for class. So here's the article. A teen whose Instagram username is at fish underscore banded 84 has been arrested in Provo, Utah for taping fish to ATMs and other objects. The 17 year old executed these bizarre pranks more than a dozen times from last August through December. ABC four and Fox 13 in Salt Lake city reported, but they weren't always in the Provo and Orem areas. He did some of these strange antics internationally too, posting videos of them on his Instagram account where his bio states live, laugh, tape fish on ATMs. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) One Instagram video shows a fish taped to an ATM in Tokyo in what appears to be a subway station. Quote, we're going international. The perpetrator wrote on the post, other fishy videos were purported to have been taken in Frankfurt, Germany, Guatemala City, Guatemala, and Phoenix, Arizona. And yet another was taken in a bathroom stall of a Bass Pro Shop store. Man, Bass Pro Shops, man, there's a lot of weird shit going on there, huh? He used a variety of fish, such as trout, bluegill, bass, catfish, carp, and crappie. One fish had a cigarette in its mouth. In one incident, he taped trout to a Provo police car. (laughs) The teen faces two charges of property damage stemming from the cost of the cleanup, ABC4 reported. The case was referred to juvenile justice and youth services. Wow. Sounds fairly 17-year-old antics. Yeah, like a guy from Utah, just like, oh, I need some clout. I got a fish. I got some tape. I got Instagram. <laughs> Let's make this shit happen. And we're talking about it right now. Right. Exactly. He did How it. many people are going to go look up? What's his name? Funky fish, Funky fish 84. <laughs> what was it? Let's let's look at it again. What was that? I want to give him some props. Like, honestly, that's pretty legendary. Like fish bandit 84 at fish underscore bandit 84. Look, I'm going to be completely honest. That's legendary. That's absolutely. <laughs> you didn't actually legendary. hurt anybody, although no, it's a fish, practical. Well, but I mean, fish. it's just it's it's a practical joke. These people need a sense of humor. That guy should have been let off. Like what cleanup? What? Come on! What do they have to do? Wipe the screen? Come on! Throw away a fish? Like give me a break, guys! A legend. You're a legend, bro. You're a legend. <laughs> just FYI. One more article, APnews.com. The final weird, gross, funny article gross headline exploding toilet at a Dunkin Donuts store in Florida left a customer filthy and injured lawsuit claims. Oh my God. Here's the article. The final article 
A customer has filed a negligence lawsuit against Dunkin' Donuts claiming he was injured by an exploding toilet at one of the coffee chain's locations in Central Florida. Paul Kerouac is seeking more than $100,000 in a lawsuit filed Wednesday in state court in Orlando claiming he suffered severe and long-term injuries following the explosion of a toilet in the men's room of a Duncan location in Winter Park, Florida, a year ago. After the explosion left Kerouac covered in human feces, urine, and debris, he walked out of the men's room seeking help from workers and the store's manager, according to the lawsuit. An employee told him that they were aware of the, quote, problem with the toilet, quote, since there had been previous incidents, the lawsuit said, without diving into further details about the explosion. Well, Contacted Thursday by email for more details on Kerouac's injuries, his attorney Scott Spradley said he was tied up and couldn't answer the questions until the following day, but later they did not immediately follow up for a comment. The lawsuit says Kerouac suffered bodily injury and he has required mental health care and counseling since the incident in January 2022. Wow, what a shitty situation. Yeah, huh? You're like, well, you have uh, like PTSD every time. You yeah, well, you to, see a Dunkin' Donuts every time you're in a public bathroom. Or every time you need to go to a public bathroom. <laughs> this one could blow. I could what blow it in. explosion exactly? Like, so Dude, I don't debris. really want to know, but like. like debris. Explosion? Like the, like, like the pressure. There was so much pressure <laughs> in the sewage line. It broke the toilet. There was. Ugh human excrement coming out into the room just asking water for help. shit like broken toilet pieces yeah but it's happened before like they just keep replacing the toilet you know it's it's just how they roll i don't know well whoa what an episode people oh my god furries uh attack at the robots base moon rockets not really making it 10 foot tall alien suicidal astronauts. <laughs> the list goes on. The list goes on and on. And brain chips. Oh, yeah. Lots of brain chips. See through TVs. Oh, my God. And Tom Tong Tong. And AI children. Tong Tong. Well, Bryn. <laughs> We made it through the episode. I appreciate you being here. And thank you for being a sponsor of Midnight on Earth. Absolutely. Again, Bryn Anderson's company. She's here as a friend of the podcast and guest co-host. She's always been here. But her company, Vital Force Herbs, is now our sponsor, one of our sponsors. You're our sponsor with all the energy that you put in people. We we love you so much. So vinylforceherbs.com. You support her, you're supporting this podcast, and you're getting incredible product unlike anything else out there. So definitely check that out. And we've got a lot of interviews coming up. We've got a lot developing. And of course, again, people, check out our YouTube channel. Go to that YouTube channel, youtube.com slash midnight on earth and subscribe. So thank you again, Brandon, for being here. Did, did you want to say anything else before we, before you go? Or? Oh, I'm all filled up. That was a lot to process. I'm just going to think. And uh, Well, real quick, before we go, people, okay. just one more last thought. <laughs> like, before we go, like, I don't see any of this. Like, this, look, you, you know how I, I have weekly episodes. It takes eight weeks, technically, for all of this to build up, to have enough content, to have a episode and talk about it. This one's actually a longer one. 
but overall it just takes time to build up. So over the last eight weeks, seven, eight weeks, have you heard any of this? Maybe 10%, right? The UFO that followed Biden. No, I that actually 10 foot tall alien. Those were the two. I did kind of hear that in the periphery, but I didn't ever read the article. Um, Japanese moon lander failed. I guess that was kind of in the background, but I never saw those directly. And I mean, I don't normally tend to look too deeply into any news anyways. However, I would say during this last period of time, I was more than usual just because of weather events going on in my area. Um, but I didn't see really much of any of that. The tunnels, so, the tunnels were out there though. The yeah. tunnel thing. The tunnel thing, yeah, I guess so. That was out there. Wow. Um, well, I, just to say though that we do try to find you this stuff that's real. No, I think there. you're pulling. It's like I thought about that as you were saying that. I'm like, where was that article? When did that happen? Like, what? How is that just skimmed by? But it goes to show you, like, what's not on the first page, what's not in front of you. It's there. It's supposedly published. It's out there, but how many people see it? Exactly. So, so, so good job, Jake. Uh, yeah. Digging for, for wacky wild weirdness <laughs> well thank you again for being the co-host sure, guys. Absolutely. So that was our last little thought so thank you everyone for listening with us and sticking it out to the end we love you so much I absolutely love you again check out the YouTube channel and we'll see you next week Midnight on Earth